Welcome to another Kingdom Community Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. So this morning, um, the, the theme that the Lord's put on my heart is believing God. And, you know, when you think of those that phrase, believing God, a lot of times, particularly in charismatic circles, you know, it's thrown around. And what do you believe in God for? You know, and so people have this desire in their heart to, to go after God for something. And oftentimes that phrase gets misused and, and people say, oh, I'm believing God for a red Ferrari, you know. <laughs> it's like, it's like well, come on, guys, you know. But um, believing God is so much more than just what are you believing God. It's, it's actually believing God at his word. It's actually believing God that he, what he says is true and what he says will come to pass and what his will is, is, is his intention upon the earth. And what I've noticed over many years of walking with the Lord and, and trying, you know, part of my DNA, I suppose, as a, as a Christian is to try and help others come into faith with Christ. And so oftentimes I'm talking to people outside the church and uh, or people who perhaps were once in the church but are no longer in the church. Maybe they were raised up in a in, in a Christian school or maybe went to church in Sunday school and when they were young no longer attend and then there of course are others who who have never had an association with church but one of the things that I find really interesting in most of the conversations is that there are a lot of people who are disillusioned with either God or the church because they are there's another dis word disappointed in not having say their prayers answered or not not seeing God perform the way they suppose he ought to. And a lot of their reason for that is when you dig deep, it usually comes back to a pre-existing idea of how God operates. Now, that may have come through Sunday school teaching, may have come through mum and dad telling them about the church or about God when they were young, sometimes good or bad. And sometimes the ideas that people get in their head about how God operates and who God is, is really quite wrong, basically. And so we can have a, a wrong understanding of who God is. And then when we pray a prayer or when we believe God for something or we just look at the world, how many people have ever heard, you know, if God is a God of love, why would he let and then fill in the blank? You know, why would he let all the starving children die in Africa? Or if God is a God of love, why would he let my granddaughter get raped by that monster of a man, you know, that happened? You know, And so, and they're all legitimate questions, to be honest honest because in the reality is is when something bad happens to somebody and you perceive God to be a God of love which he is um, the natural response inside is well why would God have let that happen that's natural that's a normal response the, the, the problem is that the church, when they try and explain things away, hasn't done a really good, good, good job of explaining God or at least inviting people into a relationship where they understand enough to know that even though God is sovereign and his will is sovereign, there's another part of the journey or another part of his will that is not sovereign. And you think, what? Heretic. No. I believe there are two kinds of will, the will of God. 
There is the sovereign will of God. And, and I don't know whether this is the right term to use. I, it's a term that I feel that the Lord gave me to use. Um, I've never heard anyone use it before. Um, so you've got the sovereign will of God and you've got the... Oh, now I've drawn a blank, haven't I? No, not permissible. That was, that was a word that somebody else used um, that I thought was pretty good. Provisional. All right, so I'm going to use that word. There's the sovereign will of God and there's the provisional will of God. Now, the provisional will of God, I believe, is where God wills something, but he's put it back into our hands or into our camp and said, well, this is my will. What are you going to do about it? And it's provisional on our response. Yeah? So there's the sovereign will of God where we don't get to a choice in the matter. You know, Jesus is coming back. We don't get to vote that one in or out. It's going to happen, right? We say, well, no, I don't particularly want that one, God. You know, that, that sounds all a bit weird and scary. And what about all the people? And No, sorry, it's going to happen. That's the sovereign will of God. We can read through Revelation and see certain things that are going to happen, and it's going to happen because God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You go through Old Testament, read through, and w- when they prophesied that certain things were going to happen, they're going to happen. But then it's interesting, though, when, even when you come to prophecy... For instance, um, when Jesus would often do things, there'd be a little tagline at the end of what they did. So Jesus did this to fulfill the prophecy which said such and such from way back when. All right? So if you go through and read even the life of Jesus, a lot of what he did was intentional to align with the prophetic word, the will of God that was established centuries earlier, And he's purposing himself to line up with that will. And it says, and Jesus did such and such in order to line up with the word that was given. And it happened this way. So, for instance, if you just read the story of how um, Joseph and Mary came to have Jesus as their son, right? If you read that whole story, there's little places all the way along. And it says, and it came to pass... That such and such, such and such happened. And it happened this way because of the prophecy that was back in and it would lead you back. So I'm just giving you, you, we all know those stories, so I don't need to go through them. They're just, they'll trigger something in your mind and you'll go, yeah, I, I remember those, right? But here's the thing. There is in the mind of most people in the world this understanding that God is, if he's God, he's sovereign, because he made everything and he should be able to fix everything. And so why doesn't he just fix it all, right? Why does he let all this stuff happen? And this is where a lot of people get themselves into trouble. And I believe this is why there's a lot of disappointment, there's a lot of disillusionment in the world and why a lot of people aren't entering into relationship with God as the invitation is there because they, they don't necessarily, they just choose not to believe that he even exists because they've got this idea of how God ought to act if he is a God. If he does exist, he'll do this. He wouldn't let this happen. And, and so every single person, if we go back to the core of who we are and our journey, we might find little places in our own journey where we go, you know what, I'm, I'm a bit ticked off. That God didn't come through on this occasion, you know. 
doesn't it say, and then we go back to the Word of God, doesn't it say that God would, you know, it's by His stripes we are healed, you know, and so we go and we pray, and, and you might notice that I'm walking with a bit of a limp today, and you probably notice even more so that I've got a couple of bandages on my head, right? You sort of think, well, you know, if God is the healer that we all know He is, why wouldn't you just get someone to pray for you and you're just healed, right? And the reality is, is God is the healer. And he's put that reality into our hands and said, what are you going to do about it? Ha ha. And I don't know that we're so good at the what are you going to do about it part. That's where I think a lot of the church gets itself undone because we, we, we walk this journey out of one foot in one camp and one foot in another camp and, you know, it, the, the Word of God says, be in the world, but don't be of the world. But the most of us are in the world and kind of half of the world. And some of us are very of the world. And we wonder why all the things that are characteristic traits of God and promises of God don't come to pass in our life because we go, well, that's his will, so why wouldn't it come to pass? But there's a provision that is attached to his will that if we don't do our part... His will will not be established in our life according to his heart. You know that God's will is kind of, when it comes to salvation, God's will, the provisional will of God is up here and down here at the same time. So if you have a look at um, Ezekiel, um, you might like to read this whole chapter, but Ezekiel chapter, I think it's chapter 18, Let me see if I can find the... Yeah, Ezekiel chapter 18. The heading in my Bible says... um, Let me see if I can find the actual words. The soul that sins shall die. Right? That's the heading. The soul that sins shall die. And in this chapter 18 of Ezekiel, God, speaking to Ezekiel, outlines that every soul that sins will die. And every soul that turns back to God shall be saved. Right? But the statement, the soul that sins shall die, is the will of God. Go figure that one out. The soul that sins shall die. That's the will of God. Right? That's, that's the down here will of God. That's not his highest will. That's, his, that's what will happen. <laughs> I'll give you an example of how... Uh, well, we'll come back to Ezekiel 18 in a minute, but um, Shek and I, not that long ago, well, I'm not going to mention his name today, but we invited a young man to come and live in our house who was off the street, who struggled with drugs and alcohol and violence and so on. Had a pretty interesting period of time in his life from an age of about 12 or 13 onwards where everything fell apart and we wanted to look after him so we brought him into the house and we wanted the best for him so our will was that he would be established in a home life that would give him an opportunity to rise up and so we gave him a bed we gave him food we gave him a, a secure place to live we gave him access to the house a key we gave him all these you know internet all the things that modern young people like he's only 17 years of age and he came in and he started to flourish he really did um 
he went from a very skinny young lad to a quite a reasonably healthy looking lad. Um, he even got himself a job and we helped him in so many ways, right? So that was, our will was that that would continue. That's our will. But there was another part to our will, right? And our will was that, and this is interesting how it works, but we said, you know, if you want to live in this house, you need to abide by some house rules, right? And so you need to not go back to drugs. You need to not go back to alcohol. And you need to not go back to a life of violence. If you do, then our will will be that you find somewhere else to live. So that's the lowest form of our will, is that here's the basic house rules that your choice would be if you go back to drugs, alcohol, life of violence, that you have to find somewhere else to live because we can't have that. We won't tolerate that in our house. And we know that if you do those things, you can't achieve our highest will, which is for you to flourish. You will not be able to do that if you go back to that lifestyle. So we gave him an opportunity. Then we handed it back to him and said, right, your choice. Right? And I believe that's kind of how God does things with us. He says, you've got your, my highest will is that, you know, my will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And my will is amazing. If you look at God's will from the perspective of all, the, all that he wants to give us, all the promises, all the, the love, the, the honor, the cherish, the, 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 the original blueprint of what our life ought to have looked like. Wow, that's amazing. By his stripes we are healed, you know, and salvation and prosperity and, and a life of good health and freedom. And, and, and even if you go back to the original, they, they weren't going to die even, you know. But the lowest form of his will, which is still his will, is that if you sin, the soul that sins dies. And so if you go back to Ezekiel chapter 18 and read that through, you'll see that he gives three examples because he's identifying something that was in the mind of the Israelites that, you know, if your father sinned, then you have to, you, 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 you have to chew on his sin for the rest of your life. But God says, no, that's not the way it's meant to be. The soul that sins dies, not the son of the soul that sins. He said, so if your father was a, was a good guy, then he's and a righteous man, then he lives, according to my word. If his son was a bad man and was... It did all, and so if you read it through, again, just read it through at your leisure, but you'll see, he identifies the man who goes and sins and lives in sin and disobeys God and goes against God's heart. Old Testament, of course, but I'm just giving you the story. He shall die. But if he had a son who then looked at all the things that his father did and said, I'm not going to be like that. I want to be like granddad. You know, I want to be a man of righteousness and I want to honor God and I want to do, I want to look after the widows in their distress and I want to, you know, give. And, and he goes through a whole bunch of things which are outworkings of a righteous life. He says, then he shall live. So again, in context, Old Testament, but it's a prophetic word, I believe, for what is to come. It's about God's relationship with mankind. The soul that sins, sins shall die. God has then made a way that every person who has sinned and has fallen short of the glory of God can come into a place of salvation and have their life turned around 
But that, even that is over to us. It's like, well, what are you going to do with that? Yeah? And so we often find ourselves in this predicament. And we often find ourselves talking, well, I do, talking with people who have got themselves on the wrong side of their understanding of God and his will, and they're struggling. They're disillusioned, they're disappointed, they won't go to church, they won't engage, they're They've had enough. They've had enough of the church. Well, if God was a God of love or if the church was supposed to be this all, in, you know, then why would they do that? Why would that pastor, would that, why would that priest do that? You know, what, what's all that about? And I think the biggest problem that we have is that most people don't believe that God is good. Most people don't believe that his intent, his will is perfect. Most people don't understand or know God. And so because of that, our preconceived idea of who God is or who God ought to be is very different from what we find in real life. But you only have to look at our own lives to see how silly some of that thought processes is, right? So... When, when we come down to, like, the story with, with the young man who's living with us, I could just, we could, we could have just turned around and say, you know what? No matter what you do, you've always got a room and you've always got a house with us. You know, you can trash the place. Well, I can tell you now, you, you meet, you'll meet some people who have been so gracious that their whole lives have been trashed. Right? Now... God might put that on an individual's heart to be that gracious and to walk that out. But when you come back to who God is, you, see, you can see that his will for us is much higher than where we're currently living, most of us. His will, his highest form of will. But then you go to his lowest form of will, and a lot of us don't even believe that that could be potentially God. What about when you go to a funeral service? You ever heard the priest sort of say, well, you know, it was such and such as time and God took them, right? You know, that, that's, that's probably not true. 99% of the time when that is said, it's just some way of explaining something that, and try and get people to a point where they go, yeah, let's just blame God. <laughs> right? Anybody ever see that? Um, I know it's just a film, but anyone ever see that, that film Bruce Almighty? Um, yeah? Right? So Bruce Almighty from years ago, um, uh, Jim Carrey plays God. Well, he plays this guy named Bruce, but Bruce has an encounter with God, and God decides, because Bruce is a bit cocky, um, God decides, well, I'm going to have a weekend off. Bruce, you can be God for the weekend. And literally gives him all the, you know, all the goodies. <laughs> so Bruce is like, oh, you know. Um, but the thing was, there was this one point in the film where, where Bruce is thinking, you know, he's doing pretty good. And uh, he's, he's walking out in front of, and, and he's like totally at this point of surrender, right? Um, 
No, it was kind of right. It wasn't actually doing so good. It was right at the end of the, the journey, and he, he'd had enough. And he was like, he gets down, and it's raining. And he's right in the middle of the road, and he gets down on his knees. God, I surrender to your will. And then there's this beautiful, bright, white light that's coming at him, and he's thinking, yeah. And he opens his eyes, and it's the truck. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it knocks him out. And then the next thing, he's in heaven. And he goes, but, but, but I was surrendering. Yeah, but if you're going to stand in front of a truck, you're going to die, right? You know? <laughs> And it was just this humorous moment, and I just thought to myself, you know, how funny is that? It's like it's like that guy that I talked about earlier, that the um, the pastor, the Chinese pastor, who jumped into the the lion's cage at the zoo and got mauled, but he really thought, somehow in his mind he thought, I'm going to do a Daniel in the lion's den and prove to everybody that God's going to look after me. And it's just silly, you know? God's will isn't that we go jumping in, in, in with lions, you know. Now, if, if, if a situation arises, now, if you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for instance, they're about to get thrown into the fiery furnace, and they make a statement which I just believe is a statement of their willingness to partner with God's will, right? I know, they say, we know that God can and will bring us out. If you throw us in, God will bring us out. But even if he doesn't, we're going to go in and we're not afraid because we know the God whom we serve, right? So there's this partnership with God's will, but an awareness that even though they know God can do it, they believe God will do it, there's a part of which says even if he doesn't do it, we're still okay. They get thrown in the forest, then, then the Lord, it looks like the Lord himself or an angel comes and stands with them, says, come on guys, we got this, and they all walk out of this fiery furnace unscathed, so God does a miracle, right? I just think that's amazing. But you see, the thing is, a lot of the time we don't even have an awareness of how we can partner with God's word. Anybody know how to partner with God's word? It's not a trick question. <laughs> well, no, it's not a trick question. It's actually, it's not that hard to partner with God's word. It's just agree and believe God. When, if we believe God and then act on that belief, right? Now, I want to tell you another, I want to read another passage of scripture which might give you an interesting, I don't know whether you've ever read this passage like this before, but this is Acts chapter 12, starting at verse 1. And it says, about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. And he had the apostle James, who was John's brother, killed with a sword. Right? So James, the apostle, has just been killed with a sword. Do you think that was God's will? People say, some people say, oh, sovereign will of God. Of course it was. He was a martyr. That was God's will. Well, let's read on and find out. Right? When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. So he's going to kill Peter as well, right? So he's just killed James. Woohoo! Everybody's, yeah, yeah, let's get these guys. Oh, Gripper's like, yeah, this is good. I could get a lot of cred for doing this. Let's get Peter as well. So they pull Peter in, right? But it just so happens that it's um, the Passover celebration. So you can't kill him on the Passover celebration. You've got to wait until after. Right, so, um, so this took. It says he, he arrested Peter, 
Uh, then verse 4, sorry, uh, end of verse 3, this took place during the Passover celebration. Verse 4, then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads. This, this is like, seriously, he's like, I'm not letting this guy out of my sight. Four squads, it's not just four soldiers, but four, four squads of four soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out to the public trial after the Passover, believing that that would give him cred, they'd kill him, all would be fine. Wahoo, you know. But, verse 5, this is the key. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Right? There's no evidence that the church prayed very earnestly for James. But they prayed very earnestly for Peter. They must have gone, oh, they've just killed James. Oh, they've taken Peter. Oh no, two apostles in one hit. We better start praying, guys. Right? So this is the scene, right? Now read the rest of this. That night, Peter was to be placed on trial. Sorry, the night before. And he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side and woke him up. Peter, <laughs> wake up. Quick, get up, the angel said, and the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel said to him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. Verse 9. And so Peter left the cell, followed the angel, but all the time he thought it was just a vision. Right? Peter's used to visions, right? And he literally thought, have you ever been in one of those dreams or night visions where you just... You, you thought it was so real, then you wake up and go, oh, it's not real, right? You ever had those where it's just so realistic, right? Well, Peter's had a whole bunch of these, so right at this moment, he's thinking it's just a dream, right? Right, so Peter left the cell following the angel, but all this time he thought it was just a vision. He didn't realize he was actually, it was actually happening. And they passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. Like, you really think you're in a vision when that's happening, and you walk up to the gate and the gate's just going, you know. It's like, whoa, that's so cool. Can you imagine? It's like, wow, this is awesome. What a great vision. I'm just chained up here and this is all happening, right? He thinks he's going to find himself back in the cell again, okay? Um, the, the gate opened all by itself, and so they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. And Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true. He said, the Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. So while they were praying for him, earnestly, it says in verse 5, they were praying earnestly that he would be set free. He goes and stands in front of the door and knocks at the door in the gate. And a servant girl named Rhoda came and opened it. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everybody, Peter's standing at the gate, at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. That, that just, that's a whole other story right there. It must be his angel turned up, you know. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. Hey, guys, it's actually me. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He, met, he motioned for them to quieten down, um, 
and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. And he said, tell James and the other brothers what happened. Now, obviously, that's the other James, not the one that had just been killed. Um, there were two Jameses. And, he, and then he went to another place. End of story. Amazing story there, right? Okay, so here's the situation. James has just been killed. Peter's been dragged before prison. It just happens to be Passover, so he's got to wait for the for, until that day, the full day, Passover days, or the celebration is finished before he goes on trial. And he's sort of thinking, I'm going to be killed too, right? That's in his mind. Got all these guards. Everybody's. It's all happening, right? So that's that's the situation. And then you've got some bright spark in the church who goes, ah, it's the sovereign will of God. Peter's sort of going to himself, no, it's not, no, 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 guys. It's not the will of God. Someone pray, please. <laughs> now, I don't know, that's just a bit of messing around. But see, Peter actually um, probably believed that he was, up, he was, he was done for. He, he heard about James and he was done for, right? But the church, see, this is the thing about the, the will of God, Right? He hands it over to us. What are you going to do about it, guys? Well, who prayed for James? Well, they maybe didn't even have enough time. Maybe it all happened in a moment, you know. <laughs> Drag him out. <laughs> Off with him. Done. And the church is like, <gasps> didn't see that one coming. Right? Now, why didn't they see that one coming for a start? Right? So this is where you get into, man, you know, are we lazy church or what? Where are our intercessors? Where are our, where's our on guard in every moment? Where's, you know, and so how are we believing God? So you can say, I believe God, but what are we actively doing to believe God? How do we partner with the will of God to see it done on earth as it is in heaven? We pray that prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the highest will for God for this earth is that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's beautiful will. It's a perfect will of God. Now, you go back for a minute to Ezekiel chapter 18, which we alluded to earlier, and have a look at verse 22. Right? Verse 22 says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? And he's just said, The soul that sins will die. He's just revealed... His will. The soul that sins will die. And then he goes, but do I take any pleasure in that? No. Right? Then he goes, rather am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live. So even though it's God's will, soul that sins dies. You know, this is why I get so upset with people who prophesied doom and gloom all over the world. Even if it was God's will, as in God's will, judgment, it's not God's will. Yeah, that's the story I was just going through my mind before you said it. Jonah and Nineveh, right? So God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them that I'm going to destroy the city. Make a declaration over the city that you're going to be destroyed, right? And this is where a lot of people in the world don't, they don't like it. You get a judgment call. Read the Bible and it's, that's pretty harsh. 
someone stand on the corner reading out some judgment call. That's pretty harsh. But there's no, there's not the other side of that oftentimes because a lot of people who do that prophetic judgment stuff, they don't, they don't preach the whole gospel. They're just preaching a tiny little, they're preaching the judgment of God without the grace and the mercy and the tenderheartedness of the Father, which is his ultimate will. So we're not preaching the whole gospel. And so Jonah, he knew God's heart. He knew the heart of God. He said, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I want him to die. That's literally Jonah wanted Nineveh. He thought, that's the wickedest city on the planet right now. If I go there and tell them what God has decreed, they'll all repent. Then God being God, he'll just go... Okay, cool, I won't do it. That's the heart of God. So Jonah knew the will of God, even though the will of God, as he was about to declare it, was a judgment call. He knew that if they responded to that judgment call with repentance, that they would be set free, that they would not have that judgment fall upon their heads. And so Ezekiel 18.22 says, Rather am I not pleased when they turn from their wicked ways and live. See, that's the heart of God. The heart of God is that when we hear the voice of the Lord calling us out, that we turn. Now, I've got a very unpleasant thing that I need to do with a friend of mine, dear friend of mine, in this next few weeks because I'm going to have to have a conversation with him about something because I know he's going down a pathway that is not right. And I look at that pathway, I think, dude, if you go down that pathway, you're walking away from the Lord. And I'm going to have, a, have, a, have to have a conversation with him. Because if I don't, see, if all he gets is the grace word, oh, it's going to be okay, brother. It's all right. Don't, you just go your way, merry way. If he just gets that grace word, but he doesn't get the actual word of God... He's not going to hear the truth. And the truth is, if you don't repent, you'll die. Huh. And I'm afraid for his soul. I really am. Because I know where he's going. I know the path he's choosing, and the path he's choosing is one that is completely away from God's heart for his life. Now, do we believe God? That is the question. And how do we best represent him on the earth? Yeah? I believe the best way we can represent him on the earth is by walking out our belief. So, we see something going on in the world that we go, that's not the will of God. What do we do about it? Do we pray? We see a coronavirus rise up on the earth. What do we do about it? Or we can go and get lots of toilet paper and we can hide ourselves in our bedrooms and go, I'm not coming out until it passes by. Or we can get on our knees and earnestly pray and do as Sue mentioned that the call is put out from America to do an Esther fast between the 18th and the 20th of March. See, there's different ways of responding, isn't it? And so when God puts his will into our hands, he's, what is he doing? He's sub- subjecting his will to our will. Isn't that amazing that God would actually do that? 
And then we have the world that goes, oh, yeah, but if he's a God of love, he wouldn't let all this stuff happen. Isn't it interesting that we're the ones who are letting all this stuff happen? And we're blaming God. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Well, there's probably a whole bunch of other stuff I could talk about on this subject, but I just feel like that's, that's enough for this morning. So I'm just going to I'm just going to pray um, to wrap up and uh, I feel that um, we, we need to recognize that God's will in his perfect love has been placed in our hands. That's an honor. And the reason I believe why we're not seeing more of what his will holds established in the earth is because we're not actively, we haven't learned how to partner with his will as we can, as we ought. And I think we need to grow into that. And so I'm going to encourage you guys and myself. This is my pursuit. This is my journey. My pursuit personally is I want to know how do I partner with your will, Lord? If it is your will to see a great global harvest, a billion soul harvest, as has been, see, if, if, it's, if, it, if it's God's will, which because it's been spoken of so many times from the Lord through many different prophets, if that's his will, will it happen if we don't partner with that? You know? So let's pray into that for a minute as we close. Father, we just want to thank you for your will, your word, and who you are, your very character, your nature, which is loving. And Lord, we we repent for when we have mistrusted or dishonored your name and and perhaps even let the, the truth that you have released into our hearts, it's, it's almost like, Lord, we've trampled it underfoot. We ask for forgiveness, Lord, if we have done that, when we have done that. I ask, Lord God, that as as individuals and as a congregation and uh, for those who are stirred to pursue you with greater measure, Lord, that we would learn how, that you would teach us. Holy Spirit, would you teach us? Lead us into your truth whereby we can partner with your word, with your will where we recognize the reality of who you are and go, no, we're going to stand on that. We stand on that truth and we declare it and we pray into it and we intercede for our brothers and sisters around the world and we, we call forth the things that you have declared from heaven and we, de- we, re- we receive them and we, we choose to walk them out in the earth today. So, Lord, would you take us on this journey? Would you take us deeper, further, and, uh, and, and into a greater place of awareness and revelation so that we would truly believe you? We want to be known as those who believe God and have walked out that belief. Help us to do that, Lord, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
Thanks for listening. This has been another Kingdom Community Church podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to www.kingdomcc.com.au.